Welcome to Don't Look Now, the podcast with your hosts, Jenny McDonald and Will Hegeman, coming to you every Tuesday with our stories of fact, fiction, entertainment, whatever they happen to be, <laughs> whatever suits Jenny's mood, because she is our, our, our researcher in chief. I am the one that has no idea what we're going to be talking about over the next 30 to 30 minutes to an hour, whatever it happens to be. So, uh, Jenny, what, what are we talking about today? What? I wanted to talk about treasure. Yeah, treasure is always good. Yeah. So, I, I mean, there's a lot of like stories of treasure hunting around the world, obviously. But in the U.S., we have some really cool old timey ones from like the 1800s. And they're very pervasive in our culture. Yep. So one um, of the cool things about American treasure hunts is that like a lot of times they're based off of ridiculous ciphers or poems. So remember we did the forced Finn episode. Yeah. Yeah. So that was based off of a ridiculous poem. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's another one though out there. So have you heard of another American treasure based off of a cipher? A cipher. No. Don't know. I'm trying to think of treasures that I've heard of, and none of them. Cipher doesn't come to mind on any of them. So, well, there's one in Virginia, in rural Virginia, and it's called the Beale Cipher. Okay, cool. Nope. Don't know this one at all. All right, well, here we go. So, this is about a set of 200-year-old ciphers that may reveal the location of millions of dollars worth of gold, silver, and jewels buried in rural Virginia. Now, one of my favorite things about these is that it may reveal the location yeah <laughs> May. May. yeah right? that's not encouraging <laughs> now for the last century there is a quest to break these ciphers that has brought in military professionals computer scientists and conspiracy theorists everyone has failed so far which of course raises the question is this treasure even real because no one yeah. even knows so let's look into the past a little bit. The year is 1898. um, And a medium is looking into a crystal ball into the past. All right. Now, specifically, he's looking at the year 1819. And he gets a very big vision. So the medium claims he could see into the upper room of Paschal Buford's Tavern, which is an old watering hole in the Blue Ridge Mountains near Montvale, Virginia. And the medium says the room was dark and there were blankets on the windows to create shade and also to block so people couldn't see in. And there was a wad of paper that was plugged into the keyhole so you couldn't walk by and see anything. Okay. Now, (laughs) I also have pet problems today. (laughs) Um, Now, inside the room is a frontiersman by the name of Thomas J. Beale. And on the bed is some saddlebags. He opens the bags and immediately light bursts into the room. So the medium has seen all this inside their crystal ball. And the medium shields their eyes and yells, 
oh my God, it's jewels, diamonds, rubies, pearls, emeralds, <laughs> name everyone you know. And so inside the crystal ball, like watching a movie, basically, Beale is looking at these gems, smiles, tucks them into the saddlebags under a pillow, and then the light is off again. So this medium is Clayton Hart, and he's super excited about this vision. Nearby, his brother, George, is like, yeah, sure, whatever. (laughs) However, what they were trying to do was gather potentially life-changing information. So this is the true story, right? Thomas Beale had reportedly buried millions of dollars in the foothills near Montvale. Um, This was the Hart brothers' last-ditch effort to divine the location of said millions. Luckily for them, the medium is like, I can see every move Thomas Beale makes. So he (laughs) arrived at the tavern on horseback with a rifle on his lap which sounds like what you would do in frontier times, Um, a pair of pistols on each hip and two jewel filled bags slung from his saddle, which seems a little sketch to me, but that's okay. (laughs) Behind him are five covered wagons, some of them hauling pots of iron and gold and silver. After resting for a while, he and his men bury that gold and silver and jewels in the woods, approximately four miles from the tavern. So as the medium is talking, the two brothers are like, digging into every word said right mm-hmm. and months later under the cover of nightfall they go out into montvale and they take this psychic with them and they go up to goose creek over a fence across a stream and they think they found it the medium says there it is <laughs> can you see it So it's totally nighttime. They're totally guided by lanterns and moonbeams and they dig hour after hour. They dig hour after hour after hour. And eventually morning starts to come because you know, that's what happens. And the brother Clayton thrusts his pick into the earth. And then here's a hollow thud Hmm. in the medium who um, instead of helping just kind of lounged around all night was like, there it is. It's there. Can't you see it? And like, instead of pointing where they were digging all night, he -hmm. now was pointing a few feet to the left. (laughs) Interesting. So the brothers are a little bit irritated uh, by this because they didn't find anything they just found stone okay so they decided you know enough's enough let's just go home about a week later clayton returns and he's like it has to be here the psychic said it's here so he has dynamite with him and he blows up this old oak tree where the gold is supposed to be spoiler alert there's no gold no just a dead oak tree the dead oak tree So Clayton's brother, George, writes a pamphlet in its, you can find it on the internet. It was written in uh, 1964 and basically says that, you know, using psychics is not the path to fortune. If anything, you'd have to search like everybody else and solve the puzzle. So if you want to do this, so this whole story is memorialized like that. So here is the first 
of the pamphlet. It, there's like a little blurb for you. Um, this is like the story story. There's a bunch of numbers um, all out of order, but this is what the one page that was solved means. If the numbers above mean anything to you, congratulations. 2,921 pounds of gold, 51,000 pounds of silver, and 1.5 million of precious jewels together valued approximately $60 million are yours for the taking because you just cracked a cipher purported to reveal the location of the treasure of Thomas J. Beale buried 200 years ago. So who was Thomas Beale? Right? Mm Mm-hmm. He's a 19th century adventurer who supposedly discovered a gold and silver on a hunting trip near the modern New Mexico, Colorado border. He then takes the riches home to Virginia, buries them and conceals the details. Um, Basically everything, the location, the contents, everything into three separate ciphers. So far, only one of the ciphers, which is cipher number two that I just read to you, um, only describes the contents of the treasure has been decrypted. And the codes are basic cipher uh, substitution ciphers. So each number represents a letter of the alphabet, which can be found by numbering the words in a key text. Um, so some people have attempted to do this. Mm-hmm. It's just not working out for them because you need the key. So if the key is available, it's a pretty simple, safe way to encrypt a message. The trouble is, though, that nobody has the key for this cipher. So for the past two centuries, any attempt to solve it is a total guessing game. In the late 19th century, an anonymous amateur crypto analysis stumbled onto the key to the second cipher using the Declaration of Independence. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. So that's what revealed the opening sentence, which is rather exciting. The uh, message described in the treasure in detail ends with a maddening line. Paper number one describes the exact locality of the vault so that no difficulty will be had in finding it. However, since no one has the key for the first cipher, you can't find it. (laughs) Uh, Amateur and professional crypto analysis have... um, Analysts have desperately searched for the lost key text, consulting in the Louisiana Purchase, Shakespeare's plays, the Magna Carta, the Monroe Doctrine, the U.S. Constitution, the Star-Spangled Banner, the Lord's Prayer, the Songs of Solomon, you name it. Anything that may have been a well-known work of art at the time or a piece of literature that was well-known, including the Molasses Act of 1733, were involved in these searches. Hmm. Um, so basically... If you find the key, a second grader would be able to break this cipher. It's that easy. Yeah. However, until then, it's just a hot damn mess. And of course, it's super addictive to try to work on these. So I can imagine. Right. I remember doing the crypto quotes in the paper with my grandma. She was really good at them. Um, But unlike a lot of the riddles that are out there, solving this particular one could make you a millionaire. So this has the ability to make or break people's lives and people literally will go crazy trying to figure it out. I can imagine. So much like forest men, people basically said, F it. I'm just going to go out and see Mm -hmm. if it's in this general location, I could figure that out. So people showed up with metal detectors, magnometers, Geiger counters, dowsing rods, backhoes, pickaxes, more mediums, uh, dynamite, you name it. They basically said, I will figure it out. And they are super motivated because in Virginia, there's this like 
lack of infrastructure if one finds a treasure. Hmm. So even if I'm trespassing, even if I have broken into land, if I find the treasure, it's mine to keep. Hmm. It is not the person that owns the lands. Interesting. Right. I guess that, that, yeah. That's an interesting loophole. Just go take something off of other people's private property and claim ownership to it. Right. If it's a buried treasure. Yeah. 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 Super weird. Now that law may have changed, but at the time, you know, that was the thing. So a lot of people are like, oh, I know where it is. I can figure it out. So, you know, they Google earth it now and they check in and they go in. Um, So like, it's kind of a wild survey to the point where like, people believe that it's buried at the local visitor center underneath the ladies room. And they've been asking to (laughs) dig it up. Uh, So for 70 years, people have been looking at least 70. Right. Um, But the important thing is, is that it occasionally (laughs) will like pick up in a newspaper. So there's often like, this is the headline man hot on the trail of the treasure and then a couple days later, man wrong, like just mm-hmm. like the forced Fen cases. So for instance, there's a Chicago refrigeration contractor, Chicago to Virginia is quite a little jaunt, but he's certain that he had broken the cipher and he did it within five days. So he convinced local officials that he could dig up a graveless patch of a local cemetery. And interestingly enough, he found something. Guess what he found? I have no idea. Gold teeth. <laughs> nope. He found cloth clothes hangers and horseshoes. Nope. Nice. In the cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> that is weird. Right. So then there's another guy. This guy comes from Texas. He and his family drove to Virginia. So I'm talking husband, wife, and kids. Okay. And Simply, all they wanted to do was borrow a local roadmap. He believed that if he had a local roadmap that may show more detail than like Google, for instance, Mm -hmm. that it would lead to the treasure. It did not. Um, Then there was a gentleman from Massachusetts who in the night bolted out of bed, convinced that he had just had a dream that told him where the treasure was. And he drove without any sleep. To the Blue Ridge Mountains to test this. Did not find <laughs> anything. Um, there's the Oklahoma psychic who surveyed Goose Creek from a helicopter, a Supreme Court justice who scouts locations from bicycle. In Washington state, a man hired armed guards and kept an armored truck idling on a nearby road because he was so convinced he knew the location of this treasure. <laughs> Interestingly enough, uh, treasure hunters are overwhelmingly male. So there's very few women who engage in these behaviors. However, there was a lady in 1983, Marilyn Parsons, who cashed in her disability check, rented a backhoe, and tested her theory that the treasure was buried in an unmarked plot of a church graveyard. Um, She, however, unlike the first fellow from Chicago that I mentioned, didn't ask for permission. So she just dug up dead bodies by accident. Yeah. So she was arrested and was told, don't ever come to Virginia again. (laughs) Nice. 
<sighs> like a lot of you know these shenanigans um it seems like the the cover of night seems to be the most popular method to trespass so uh a lot of people will appear in the night um and try to locate places so in 1972 um it's reported that local landowners regularly regularly were firing gunshots at strangers who were trespassing on their lands um because what would happen is people would sneak out onto the land and they'd blow really big holes in the ground and then they'd leave them they wouldn't backfill at all (laughs) and then the farmer's cows would step in the holes and break their legs and so a lot of the local residents were starting to resent this because they're having to put their cattle down yeah that was kind of my first thought is Sneaking around somebody's property in rural Virginia in the middle of the night. It's a good way to get yourself shot. But, yeah. You would think so, but apparently, like, no. Um, even the federal government owns land near Montvale in the uh, Blue Ridge Parkway and Appalachian Trail, which goes through the town. Um, and they're not super stoked about treasure digging people either because yeah. they're destroying trails. In the early 90s, a Pennsylvania church group decided that they knew where the location of the treasure was, and they tore up the Jefferson National Forest on federal holidays um, because they figured that the rangers wouldn't be there if they went on a federal holiday. Oh, God. What a wonderful church. Yeah. They were caught and forced to refill all the holes they had dug, which if you're going to do this kind of crap, bare minimum, backfill your damn holes, right? Yeah, exactly. So even the people that are considered enough to ask for permission, um, a lot of people are like not real excited to do that. So one of the local farmers who also owns a winery in the area said that people would come to them and they would have like these contracts saying no matter what they did, they'll be back. They'll keep the land back in shape um, before they leave. But then what happens is, is that they literally go broke and just leave and leave it as a mess. Uh, and then the landowner, of course, has to go back and put their land back. A lot of the people end up going broke looking for these kinds of treasure. Hmm. That's sad. This includes the guy that actually broke that second cipher. Um, upon breaking the code, he wrote a wave of adrenaline that compelled him to neglect all of his families and friends. And he um, decided that he was going to find the treasure uh and it, he did not um it's described that once you get the beal treasure in your system it's hard to get it out you're kind of possessed by it it's like a drug or gambling and it leads vulnerable people to stake everything on that families have crumbled uh bank accounts have evaporated jobs disappeared one gentleman alone spent seventy thousand dollars over the period of seven years on dynamite and bulldozers but that doesn't seem like that much money to me um in the early 80s a treasure hunter bankrupted himself after blasting rock for six months he abandoned town still owing the hotel for (laughs) his stay um an editor at the american cryptograph association spent so much time focused on the ciphers he was fired and a researcher that had investigated the story for decades said it was the worst decision he ever made if he would have spent all the hours he spent pursuing the treasure legend to medicine, they would have become a doctor Yeah, because he wasted so much time on the story. 
Yeah, it does sound a whole lot like a gambling addiction. I just that whole chance of reward just kind of drives people to obsess on something. And yeah. Well, especially knowing that it might be a big fat hoax, all of yeah. it, including yep. Thomas Beale. Yep. Right. At least the casino is required to actually have a certain percentage payoff or they, you know, get in trouble. But yeah. Yep. So let's say that this is a hoax. Here's why people want to hear the story. It's April 1817. Thomas Beale and a party of 30 men leave Virginia and they go out west with the goal of hunting buffaloes, grizzlies, and other critters in nature. When they reach Santa Fe, which was at the time part of Spain, um, they split up and then go to the Colorado border. And it's there in a ravine that they discover things. And over years, they mine thousands of pounds of precious metal. Because of people, uh, they were constantly looking over their shoulder. And he knew that he was in hostile territory. So he decides to send this to Virginia and secretly bear it, bury it. So a mule train plods east where they exchange some ore for jewels. And then they arrive in Virginia and he buries the hall in a gravesized plot about four miles from the tavern. He would repeat the trip over and over before returning from the West for good in 1821. Prior to the final journey, he lodged at the Washington Hotel in Lynchburg, befriended the hotel owner, Robert Morris, and as the story goes, handed him an iron lockbox and advised him to open the box if he failed to return. Morris didn't know it, but the box contained the three ciphers. Okay. This was pretty common during this period of time that people would exchange words like this, especially if they were veterans of the Revolutionary War of 1812. Um, Most people knew secret codes, but Beale never sent the key. And after 10 years, he never returned. So Morris would spend two decades attempting to unravel the codes. And in 1862, a year before his death, he handed these materials to someone else who lucked onto the Declaration of Independence. Um, And then in 1885, that's when that pamphlet about the two brothers is published. And that's when it starts to get out to everyone. And then in 1885, the Beale Papers was published as a thin booklet for 50 cents. Um, It's totally been a controversy ever since then. So here's the thing. The story has problems. If history books are to be believed you know, and we mm-hmm. follow the timeline of normal progression of mining and such. Yeah. They actually found this gold and precious metals 30 years before anyone else did in the Colorado region, which is pretty damn amazing. Right. Yeah. Furthermore, the size of the party of people would have garnered attention. There would be records of it somewhere at least one of them would likely have been arrested for trespassing on foreign soil at some point. There's nothing. Hmm. There's also some problems with the ciphers themselves. So um, Dr. Todd Mater of the NSA said in a 2013 paper that if you decrypt cipher number two with the original declaration of independence, you actually don't get the results that they said that you do. Okay you have to look at a more modern version of the declaration of it's like a mess right yeah but then the other issue is is that the supposed letters from this guy are super suspicious as well so in 1982 a linguist compared the like story um to the writing of the pamphlet's anonymous author 
and found that both use the same pronouns incorrectly. And they copied parts of the King James Bible. They overused negative passive constructions. So like what they realized was that there were striking similarities between several documents that showed that it was all written by one person versus multiple people. So it's most likely whoever wrote the pamphlet is the one that wrote the cipher. Um, Then it's of course been analyzed by multiple people, but then they all come to the same conclusion. The same person that made the pamphlet was the same person that wrote the ciphers. And then the same person that also wrote that 50 cent booklet with the sole purpose being designed to sell the little booklets. So the reason why no one has found the treasure, according to these experts, is because there's nothing to find. <laughs> it does make it hard. Right. However, anybody who believes the legends and the stories is like, no, that's not true. In fact, when they first start to notice these anachronisms, a few people were like, whatever, I'm done. And then they started diving into the special archives to start a new hunt because they knew that there was evidence in the historical record to support that he was there. Um, So it then turned into from that addicting search for the treasure itself, it became just as much of a treasure hunt to find evidence of him places. And people looked and looked and looked and looked and looked. Now, one of the articles I read said that they went to the um, genealogical library in Bedford County And they handed him everything that they knew about the guy. And it was a handful of books and then a stack of manila folders stuffed with paper. And it's not anything. It's a whole bunch of like maps, genealogies of people that were related to the story, unpublished academic papers, handwritten letters, manifestos, you name it. It was just every crazy person's search that they had kept, (laughs) but no real evidence that he himself existed. Yeah. So the thing is though, that you can't say that these are all like uneducated people just looking for last ditch effort. There's some really talented, intelligent people that have attempted to do their own part in this search. Um, So one of the top experts, Dr. Stephen Mateus was an IBM cryptanalysis And he had a dozen digital security patents. Um, And another one is Thomas Thayer, who's a professional writer. He has proven research skills. He once found a missing woman who'd been missing for five decades. So like these are people with legitimate backgrounds, including a Fulbright scholar who cracked a cipher link to Pope Gregory the 13th that had baffled people since the 1500s. And they aren't crazy or anything. They just want to solve this historical mystery, see if it's accurate. You know, everybody wants to be one of these people that solves a true crime. And this is essentially that version of it. Yeah. Um, Most of these researchers say that any inconsistencies can be explained away. Um, However, you know, they haven't got anything to confirm it either. Yeah. Um, Okay. (laughs) It's a lot, right? Yeah. So the only evidence that's been found that Gill went West, um, an ex-CIA agent combed through the newspapers from St. Louis, and that would have been like that last checkpoint before the frontier, and did discover a postmaster's notice um, from October of 1817 for an S.T. Beale and a notice for a Thomas Beale in the Franklin Intelligencer. 
as for the ability to avoid arrest, maybe it was the Adam Honest Treaty of 1819. So the borders were withdrawn. Small window of maybe this guy existed. However, remember I said that if you actually use the Declaration of Independence, it didn't work. Yeah. So the Declaration of Independence appeared in the newspaper from 1776 to 1825 in more than 350 publications, each of which slightly altered the text over time. So it's possible that one of those editions was the one that was used to do that. Um, Maybe. It's also possible that the fact that the consistent language between all of the documents is not really anything. Um, it could just be someone that was trying to mimic the language. The biggest, most important work is the genealogical work, um, the genealogy. So researchers discovered that there's at least two Thomas Beals that lived within 20 miles of Montville, Virginia during this time period. And then in the early 1800s, one of them dueled a Lynchburg man and um, then fled town. The man had suffered um, some non-fatal gunshot wounds to the gut and would stay and raise their family in the same area. Interestingly enough, the grandson of that shot man is the man who published the Beale Papers. <laughs> right? Hmm. What does that mean? Unknown. You know, the guy's not around to ask him about it, but most likely it's a hoax perpetuated by the grandson of the guy that shot his grandpa. Um, His family says, no, no, that's not true. It's a Freemason plot. It's this, it's that. The treasure's real. It was dug up. People have the money. The federal government found it. You name it. The list goes (laughs) on and on and on and on about that because people are real suspicious of the government in this area. So, yeah. Um, it hasn't been found, obviously. Uh, there is a computer scientist um, who runs the website Cypher Mysteries who has been kind of looking into this. And he's kind of like the third species, if you will, of Beale Hunter. Uh, so all of the endless bickering over the stories, historical authenticity, he could care less about. What he's interested in is the actual ciphers themselves. Yeah. So the opinion of the cryptanalysis over time has been, if you solve it, then we'll believe it, right? Yeah. So in the 1930s, the leader of the U.S. Army Signal Intelligence, or the SIS, which is the forerunner of the NSA, used to spend his free time attempting to untangle the codes. Um, He took them so seriously that he had an agreement in case he did solve them that was already drafted up so that he would get credit for it. Uh, never did solve it, obviously, but he didn't quit either. And instead, he included these ciphers as part of the SIS training program because he understood that maybe he wouldn't solve it, but maybe somebody else could and kind of had it as a challenge, if you will. So according to one of the cryptologists who helped crack Japan's purple cipher, purple cipher during uh, World War II, the trainees concluded the ciphers were phony. Um They dubbed them kind of a lost cause. It was a fruitless effort, Um, but they did continue to use them as a training exercise and they were found in the vaults for the SIS in the 1930s. Um, Other cryptozoologists of the era or crypto and sorry, cryptologists of the era 
approached the ciphers with similar ambivalence. Um, there was a guy who wrote a book in 1931 who revealed the workings of America's cryptography groups and believed that they could be solved, but also admitted they looked rather fishy. <laughs> uh, so that's basically how everyone believed until the 1970s when the director of computer sciences at Sperry Univac made a starting revelation at a symposium. He'd analyzed the ciphers with a computer and compared the codes to a random number generator. And the results do show signs of an intelligent pattern. So they say something. They aren't just random doodles. They actually have some sort of message. What the message was is still unknown. So, yeah, yeah, isn't that crazy to think that it's possible? Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I'm probably in the latter group of I'm. Fairly sure there probably isn't a treasure, but I would really like to know how to <laughs> how to solve the the puzzle. So, I think what I believe at this point is that it says something. I think the ciphers themselves are real. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think the treasure is real. Yeah, it sounds like the ciphers were made well after that time period, and are you know, especially the whole. It only fits a copy of the Constitution that was made later sort of thing. Makes me think that somebody else somewhere along the line thought it'd be cool to put some ciphers together and do something with it. But. So this is still being researched. Like the Oak Ridge Labs still have a computer devoted to this. Nice. But there, until somebody finds the key, there's nothing you can do, right? But yep. once you figure it out, like, can you imagine if a supercomputer sorted through and was able to figure out the answer that would unlock someone's last cipher of ha 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 this is a joke (laughs) or it's going to be nonsense that's the thing that i get like it's not going to have anything to do with these actual like you know codes yeah i think it's just going to be nonsense and i think that alone is going to be very validating for people be interesting right so let's go down a rabbit hole and talk about gold well treasure In 1978, a year before the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan, archaeologists stumbled upon a treasured trove of gold, silver, and ivory, um, and they found it in burial mounds in northern Afghanistan. The gold was buried in what is now known as the Tilya Tepe, which is the Golden Hill, somewhere between 100 BC and 180. Um, The hoard consisted of 20,060 gold coins and gold ornaments. However, it went missing again during the Afghanistan civil wars. Yeah. Interestingly enough though, it's recently been recovered and is now on display in museums worldwide. That's cool. Yeah. It's that nice one's to actually have good... a happy ending for once. Right. That's a nice outcome. It was looted, but Hey, it's on display. So at least someone's seeing it. Right. Yep. Um, an iron age gold tomb that was brimming with treasures of gold, bronze, and amber was found at Hunberg, Germany in 2017. It had been buried in 583 BC by Celtic people. Uh, the grave was thought to be that of a priestess and included a petrified sea urchin. Aside from that, they also found textile spurs, carved boxwood objects, and ornaments made of boar's horns. Hmm. I love the ones that are just happy little stories. <laughs> So a Midwestern dude thought he had lost it real big when he spent $14,000 on a gold and jeweled decorative egg 
that was turned out to be only worth about $500 in material in general. How devastating would that be first off? Yeah. You're like, oh my God, I spent $14,000 on this. My wife is going to freaking kill me, right? Yeah. So he has pictures taken and people are just like, okay, that's nice. Except it was real nice because it was a Fabergé Imperial egg that had been lost in the 1800s. It was commissioned by Tsar Alexander III for his wife, Maria Fedorovina in 1887. And it's one of 43 surviving Fabergé eggs and it's worth $33 million. Nice. Did you see the treasures of the czars when they came through in the... I did not. I remember all of the ads for it and everything else, but I don't believe I saw it. So I was deathly sick when I was supposed to go with my school group and I was devastated because there's no way that like, I thought my parents would be able to afford tickets for all of us to go, but my mom and my grandma and I ended up going and it was beautiful. We got to see all the costumes and some Fabergé eggs and un- cool. unbelievable, especially now because all the traveling like history stuff that comes through is not the actual artifacts anymore. They're all like yeah. 3D printed renditions of it. Mm-hmm. So this was like one of the last see the real thing in person. And it was stunning to see in person. It was a really cool experience. No, that's cool. So my last little random fact of the day is I don't know if you've seen in the news lately. A woman went to Goodwill, which is my new hobby, by the way, for anyone else that would like to join me, please let me know. Um, And she picked up a little statue head and it was like 40 bucks or something like that. And she's like, cool, I'll take it home. She's looking at it. She's like, this is really cool. It looks like a real Roman statue. Well, she got it analyzed by someone and it turns out to be an actual Roman statue worth (laughs) millions of dollars. That's crazy. Isn't that wild? She picked it up at the Goodwill. But now she has to return it because it's part of like an antiquities act as looted artifact from the German war from World War II from the Germans. So what most likely happened was the area that was sacked by the Germans, it was brought over by someone. And then when they died, it was donated because no one knew what it was valued, (laughs) which then makes me just want to go to this goodwill and see what else they left behind. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's time to. Trying to figure out where a bunch of retired old Nazis are slowly dying off and having their stuff auctioned off. So, yeah. I mean, as part of Project Paperclip, who knows? They could yeah. be anywhere. So, yeah, that's my story. <laughs> Not cool. Yeah, buried treasure is always some of the best, and ciphers and cryptology is some of the best stuff. So, you know, throw it all together yeah. and it's, it's good times. So. Absolutely. Well, very cool. Well, Thank you for listening listening to us today, everybody. Um, as always, rate, subscribe, review, check us out. Uh, you know, we do have the ability to email us at don'tlooknow19 at gmail.com. We got a Facebook group. Um, come join us and check it all out. We will catch you all next week. Bye-bye. Bye bye.